This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Our special guest today is freelance journalist and best-selling author Peter Zoitlin. And Peter's going to talk to us about his latest book, Rescued, What Second Chance Dogs Teach Us About Living with Purpose, Loving with Abandon, and Finding Joy in the Little Things. It's a great book. I'm so interested to talk to Peter about the book and uh, his work with uh, rescues and dogs. So it's going to be an exciting time today. Everybody just hang tight. We're going to come right back after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. The young lady from the rescue delivered happy, and I panicked. She was missing hair, stinky, scabby, and I thought, what did I get us into? The cause of his issue was poor nutrition. It was neglect. The other owners didn't care enough about him to give him the nutrition he needed. But I have a vet that I trust, and she recommended Dinovite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I ordered the first 90-day supply, and within a couple weeks, his skin started clearing up. He didn't smell. He had more energy. He just had a glow and a bounce about him. We've been using Dinovite for the last year, and Happy the Rescue Dog is Happy the Healthy Dog. <laughs> I tell all my friends who have rescues to give their dog the chance at a new start with Dinovite. It's going to pay off for you and your dog for years to come. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining me today is a freelance journalist and best-selling author. His works appears in regularly in national publications, including the Boston Globe, Christian Science Monitor, and many, many more locations. We have author Peter Zoitlin on the line with us today. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. Good to be with you. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Now, we'll start off. We'll talk a little bit about the latest book, which is called Rescued. Uh, it talks about uh, second chance dogs, what they teach us, their purpose, and uh, the other joy they bring us. Tell us a little bit about the book and how it came about. Well, you know, five years ago, I would have told you I love dogs, but I really just loved other people's dogs. I was not by any means a dog person. My wife and my kids uh, were on my case for close to 20 years before I finally succumbed to the pressure. I knew nothing about the world of rescue dogs. Uh, in fact, when my wife first suggested it, that we get a rescue dog, the image that popped into my mind quite literally was a St. Bernard wandering the Alps in, in search of avalanche survivors. I honestly had no idea what she was talking about. Once we, I mean, I, I was on board because I, I tend to be sympathetic to underdogs in all aspects of life. And once we adopted our first rescue dog, came from Louisiana, survived a high kill shelter, I really wanted to know why we were getting a dog from Louisiana and why I was meeting so many other people here in New England who had dogs from Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, Tennessee. And that led me to write a previous book about the whole world of of rescue uh, called Rescue Road, which I spent time sort of in the trenches with the people who do the really tough work of saving these dogs and getting them into what we call forever homes. And that book sort of took the whole process up 
to the point where those dogs are put into the arms of their new families. And this new book sort of picks up the story in a sense from that point on. It's not just my experience, but it's the experience of so many other families that have adopted a rescue dog and the enormous joy uh, that they've gotten from, from saving a life. And it's real interesting, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Obviously, we're uh, big proponents of uh, rescues and rescue organizations, and I'm a former president of a humane society uh, myself, so I'm uh, very familiar with the whole um, rescue community. I guess, uh, first of all, congratulations on putting up the good fight for 20 years. That's <laughs> that's about well, 19 years and 11 months more than I could have done, but uh, that was good. <laughs> well, I had, a, I, you know, I had a lot of really good reasons, and one of them was that everybody was promising they were going to walk a dog in the middle of the winter at five o'clock, and I knew I would never be able to cash that promissory note. So I just had the feeling that a lot of the burden was going to fall on me. But, you know, I do think ultimately you welcome these dogs into your life at the time that's right for you, and it was the right time for us. You know, it's just been a joy ever since. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about then, you did the uh, research, obviously, in, in your previous New York Times bestselling book, Rescue Road. How is this book, Rescue, different? Is it a, uh, a culmination of additional insight and uh, meeting with people compared to Rescue Road, or is it a national progression? Yeah, I think it, it is a natural progression. It, it really, as I said, picks up the story where the other one left off. You know, what happens to these dogs once they come into our homes and into our lives? You know, what what challenges do they present? What do they teach us? What does it bring out in us to take a dog, give it a second chance? You know, for me, the experience of you know having a dog that I uh, that otherwise would have died in a high kill shelter just gives me enormous satisfaction. And again, the other book really focused on how this whole process works. You know, it's, it's a little bit chaotic in some cases. You know, it's about the people who walk through the shelters and literally make decisions of they think they can save and which ones they can't. And then the whole process of transporting them from the South to the Northeast. So in this book, I interviewed families who had taken these dogs in. And, you know, there's a lot of commonality to the experience. So it's, it's, it's an, in some sense a continuation. There you go. So, what have uh, what additional insight or what additional things have you learned from uh, the first time around, and then meeting additional people? Do you still see the trend being heavy, where there's a lot of animals that are in need of rescue in the South and being transported to the Northeast, or are you seeing it balance out a little bit more? Or is there improvements in well, those the areas? Need, the, the need for for homes is absolutely astronomical. People are shocked. When I tell them that in the city of Houston alone, there are more than a million stray dogs that live on the street. These aren't even dogs that have made it into shelters. You know, people are under the impression, and it's not, not correct, that this problem of canine overpopulation or the availability of all these dogs for adoption relates to specific events, whether it's Hurricane Katrina back in 05 or Hurricane Harvey in Houston this year. This is a chronic, ongoing problem. So there's always an enormous need in other parts of the country for homes for these dogs. You know, even if you adopted, you know, thousands and thousands of dogs out a year, it'd be a drop in the proverbial bucket. So the need is really great. And this is something I was completely unaware of when we decided to travel down this road to adopt a rescue dog. It came as a big surprise to me. 
Yeah, and, and I agree. I mean, those that are they're not close to the situation don't realize how dire the situation is. And even though I think it's it's drastically approved over the years, there are more and more people aware, more and more people involved. It's still just mm-hmm. scratching the surface on being able to help the rescues and rescue yeah, dogs I, and cats. Yeah, I think it, I mean it is true. I think people are much more aware now of the need. In some places, it's almost becoming fashionable to have a rescue dog, you know, kind of a badge of honor. But the need's going to continue for a long time. You know, the numbers are simply off the charts. And if you keep in mind that the estimates are that there are close to 700,000 dogs um, that are euthanized in U.S. shelters every year, you know, that's an enormous number. You know, fortunately, the number of dogs being euthanized in, in shelters has gradually been coming down. And some of them, you know, begin to think that, okay, there's got to be an alternative to euthanizing all these dogs. So you find shelter directors and even small parishes in Louisiana, for example, we're trying to think outside the box and not just, okay, I just, you know, I have to euthanize these dogs because I've got another hundred coming in the door next week. You know, reaching out, forming partnerships, trying to adopt as many out locally as they can. But the demand really tends to be more in the north. In stark terms, this is something of a supply and demand problem. And that's why you've got all these transports bringing rescue dogs to the north and not vice versa. So when we talk a little bit about the book, the the subtitle of the book is uh, what Second Chance Dogs teach us about living with mm-hmm. purpose, uh, loving with abandon, mm-hmm. and finding joy. So mm-hmm. how do you surmise that, summarize that? Are there certain key things that you've learned that that woke you up and said, hey, you know, these dogs, we hear about dogs living in a purpose, but mm-hmm. these dogs do live uh, for a purpose and in the moment. Tell us a little bit about maybe a couple of the stories that, yeah. that have really touched your heart. Sure. Well, the first thing I would tell you is that uh, when you talk about the part of the subtitle that says Loving with Abandon. When our first rescue dog came to us, Albie, I was totally unprepared for how deeply in love I was going to fall for this dog and how you know expansive my compassion was for him. We didn't know a lot about his previous life. We just knew that he'd been picked up in a stray. We don't know how long he was wandering alone in central Louisiana and that he had survived, luckily, in a high kill shelter for five months. Well, this is a place where 90% of the dogs are euthanized, and a volunteer took a shine to him and kept him going from week to week until an adopter came along, and that was us. So, you know, my love and my compassion for him were just sort of unbound. And in terms of, you know, living with purpose, for me, when I look at Albie and, you know, think about where he was and that he could have perished on any one of 100 days in that shelter, and then I look at him you know, sleeping in bed or by the fire and he's been fed and he's content and he's safe and he's secure. And to me, that just makes the whole relationship with a dog all that more poignant. And for me, it's very meaningful to think, okay, this is a dog that almost certainly would have met its demise if it wasn't for us. And so to watch his joy, you know, when he's running through the woods or, you know, chasing a ball, whatever it is, just gives my life a lot of meaning. In terms of finding joy in the little things, you know, I think one of the things these dogs, and I think it's true of all dogs, really teach us is to be a little bit more present in the moment. It's mm-hmm. something we all struggle with. You know, we're, we're thinking about what we did yesterday. We're making plans for tomorrow. We've got a lot on our minds. I think these dogs force us to kind of try and live at least a little bit the way they do. You know, they don't dwell on the past. They don't make plans for the future. And they kind of call us to be present with them in the moment. When I look at Albie and our, our other dogs too, and they're totally content with a stick or a tennis ball. And I think, you know, if only human happiness was that simple. 
Um, <laughs> I kind of envy them in, in a sense, the simplicity of their lives. So that, that I think that touches a little bit on and all the aspects of the of the subtitle of the book. Absolutely. Well, I think you're spot on right there. I, you know, I've, I've said that for years, and I tell a lot of my clients that as well, that you know, animals, no matter what their past was, whether it was a challenging past or just a, mm-hmm. uh, a nice, easy one, they uh, live in that present moment, so they don't hold on to that past, and they don't worry mm-hmm. about the future. They focus on that moment and enjoying every single moment, and you're right. We have that. That's uh, probably the biggest lesson we can learn as humans from them. I agree. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a commercial break, and then we're going to come back with uh, Peter Zoitlin, talk to him a little bit more about the book Rescued. I also want to talk to Peter about his writing and writing styles and do some comparisons of uh, what it's like to write for uh, newspapers, magazines, and then uh, publishing books. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after these commercial breaks. We're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our uh, conversation with Peter Zoitlin, the author of the book Rescued, What Second Chance Dogs Teach Us About Living with Purpose, Loving with Abandon, and Finding Joy in the Little Things. Now, Peter, we talked a little bit about before the break about uh, the book itself and how it came about and your involvement in rescue and helping out rescued animals. What would you say after the listeners pick up a copy of the book and read through it? What would you hope they walk away from after reading the book? Is there a key message or something that you'd say, hey, if they, if they learned this or enjoyed this, then I'd be a happy man? You know, there are a couple of things. Number one, of course, one of the reasons I've written these books is that I want to encourage people who are interested in adopting or getting a dog or even a cat, but primarily dogs, to think about adopting a rescue dog and giving these dogs a second chance at life. I hope that the books help to dispel the myths, some of which I believe myself, that rescue dogs are somehow damaged goods or are going to be, you know, by definition, have behavioral problems and anxieties that other dogs don't have. I think that really is largely not the case. And I think people can be assured that when you work with a reputable rescue organization, they want to set these dogs up to succeed. So they carefully screen the dogs that they are making available for adoption. And if they're good at what they do, they're also going to be screening the adopters, that is to say you. I always tell people one sign that you're working with an organization that while you're checking out the dogs, they're checking you out. Um, they, may even come, they may even come out, as we did, and have a home visit. And they want to make a good match, you know, to make sure that the chances of success 
of the adoption are high. So that's you know, the, the, the overall goal. I really want to encourage people to think about going the rescue route. The one takeaway lesson from the book I encourage everybody to really take to heart is that, first of all, don't make an impulsive decision. You know, when you make a commitment to a dog, even if it's a little bit older, two, three years old, or even a senior, you really should be thinking of it, I'm making a commitment to this dog for its lifetime. You know, this is not like buying a mattress and I'll test it out for 30 days and return it <laughs> if I don't like it. But part of that means being prepared, and this applies to all dogs wherever they come from, you individuals. They have their anxieties just like people do. They have their fears just like people do. Sometimes we don't know why they are the way they are, but be patient, be compassionate, and I would also say let the dog be a dog. Don't expect it to be like a little human being. You know, it may be mad, for example, when the dog drags, you know, a bunny that it's caught, you know, into the house. I mean, I, I try to save these critters that my dogs sometimes get, but I don't get angry at them. They're doing what comes naturally to them. So the lesson, I think, is, yes, a dog has to learn how to live with people and live in your house, but first and foremost, it's your job to learn how to live with a dog. <laughs> so, and I think that's with, it, you know, counseling patience and compassion really is important. There you go. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, oftentimes, uh, I shouldn't say oftentimes, but I've seen it happen many of times where uh, you know someone brings a new animal home to their home and they expect them to know exactly the routine, where to go, where they yeah. should potty, what they should do. And that takes time. The animal has to learn yeah. you and your uh, house and your family. And then you have to learn the animal as well. You know, unrealistic expectations, I think, are often the, the reason that adoptions, the most common reason that adoptions don't work out. People don't give it time. They don't really take to heart the message that you know, this is a dog. It has to be allowed to indulge its dogginess, so to speak, you know, <laughs> and it has instincts and you, know, you don't want to extinguish those. This is what makes, this is what makes a dog a dog. And if you, you know, and they will return you know, the love that you give them, you get it back a hundred times over because these dogs don't know your faults. They don't know all the things you've done wrong. You know, they greet you like a conquering hero every time you walk in the door. And, you know, they don't judge us. We should be a little less like them. There you go. I think that's a good message. Good messages. Well, uh, definitely uh, everybody pick up a copy of the book Rescued, and uh, you're definitely going to love it. Learn a lot. Have some fun with it as well. Now, Peter, I have to talk to you a little bit more about your writing and writing styles. Obviously, you've uh, published uh, regularly for uh, the Boston Globe, so newspapers, Christian Science Monitor, magazines, other publications, and now mm -hmm. writing uh, books. Tell us a little bit about how you handle each one differently, or do you go into the task of writing the same way for each one of them? How do those uh, different methods uh, combine? You know, it's in interesting. People often ask writers, you know, about what they call their process. And to me, it's such a subconscious thing. I'm not even aware, frankly, that I, I have a process other than sitting down and, and literally typing with two fingers because I never actually learned to type. <laughs> I would say the main difference between, you know, the articles and, and essays, more short form journalism, is that it's more of a sprint and a book is more of a marathon. I think people don't realize how long the process can be to produce a book. I, I tend to write fairly quickly, but most books on average, I think, from conception, or at least in my case, from the time you conceive the idea, from the time you actually have a copy of the book in your hand, it's about two years. And honestly, by the time the book comes out, you've already read through it 
you know, even before you submit it to the publisher, you've read through it a hundred times, and then it goes through, you know, copy editing and proofreading it. And so literally by the time your own work comes out, you're so sick of it. You're sure that, <laughs> you're sure that nobody is going to like it. But, you know, I just tend to write in bursts. I can kind of concentrate for a couple hours at a time and get a lot written. And then I'm a bit tired of it. I can't write for eight hours a day. <laughs> Well, it's funny. It sounds like we have a, a lot in common. It's more of, uh, you know, whether it's a deadline that's due, that's a big one for me. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the most part, it's it's a matter of getting into groove, get writing, and then when I get tired, I, I stop. And yes, I'm a hunting pecker as well, you know, <laughs> with two fingers going to going to town on this thing. But hey, it's worked well for me for years, so that, that's all right. Well, I think as long as, you know, if you're writing about things you care about, it comes much easier. You know, if I were writing a technical manual for you know, an automobile or a piece of software, it wouldn't be quite as much fun to say the least. The you know, writing about dogs to me was it was kind of a labor of love and a way to, you know, take my experience, particularly with Al because the first rescue dog and we now have three, but a way to kind of honor his life in a way. You know, even from from the moment he came into our house, well maybe not from the moment, maybe a week after he came in, Don to me that he wasn't necessarily going to be part of our life forever. And I just wanted to make his life mean something beyond just giving us pleasure, our family. And I think, you know, so many people that I don't even know if they've read the books will say, how's Albie? You know, he's got, he's, he's not quite a, he's not a Matt Damon, you know, star, but he's, you know, he's got a little celebrity now. And I think it's just been a way to honor everything that he's given to us. So, so these two books about Rest of Dogs were something of a mission for me, I guess. Excellent. Well, do you have a preference in types of writing opportunities you have, or is it um, go with the flow or go with whatever uh, the topic is you're wanting to write about or, or they're asking you to write about? I just think it's mainly something that you really think as you're writing a book, that it's something you can live with for a couple of years and you know will hold your own interest. I enjoy hearing about the experiences of others, you know, and so rescued. It wasn't just, it's not just my story, it's the story of so many families that have gone through this process. You know, I just try and find things that are drawn from my own life to some extent, you know, experiences that I'm having. I, the biggest compliment I used to get when I was writing essays for the Boston Globe about raising kids and all the trials and tribulations, yeah, they were more humor columns. But the biggest compliment I could get would be somebody would say, oh, my God, that's my life you just wrote about. <sighs> so, you know, when people, sometimes it's about giving voice to people, let's say, who don't write, but who've been through a similar experience and validating that experience for, for them through your writing. I can give you an example if you'd like. I actually helped a very distinguished Boston cardiologist write a memoir when he was suffering from Parkinson's and dementia. Mm-hmm. Very challenging project. The book was called Life in the Balance. We got so many letters from people, caregivers who were taking care of people suffering from similar ailments. And I think it's a great comfort for other people to have someone put into words the experience of their living. And, and that to me is the most gratifying part of it. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I mean, obviously, what you write, whatever it is, has to uh, touch and resonate with people. And and I too, I enjoy getting those uh, those emails and those uh, salutations. You know, especially from those the people who said, "Wow, I thought I was the only one out here." Right. And, exactly. uh, yeah, and let them know that they're not. So that's great. All right, Peter. Well, where can people uh, follow your journey and book tours and all your events and all your writing? Well, how's the best place right. to keep track of you? The best place would be I have a website. It's Peter Zeutlin. I'll spell it. It's Peter, my first name, and Z H E U P L I N. Peter I put all the events 
you know, book talks on the events page. I also have an author page on Facebook. It's the same name. Uh, those are probably the two best ways. All right, then. Super. We'll make sure we get that posted so everybody has that as well. So congratulations once again. The, the, the latest book's called Rescued, What Second Chance Dogs Teach Us About Living with Purpose, Loving with Abandon, and Finding Joy in the Little Things. It's Peter Zoitlin uh, putting together another great book. Peter, congratulations again, and we'll look forward to talk to you again somewhere down the road. Great. Thanks so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our uh, producers and sponsors for making this show possible. And if you want to be on the show and have a conversation with me, we'll put it down in a blog, an article, or write a book. And who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Everybody have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.